and welcome to LX2 Codependency Coaching. I am Stella. I am recording live on Instagram at Luna underscore X2 underscore LLC. And as I mentioned earlier on the video, to those of you who celebrated the holiday yesterday, happy Thanksgiving. Um, and for those of you who are out shopping, uh, happy Black Friday. I don't know how that works. Um, I think I've only gone Black Friday shopping like twice ever. Uh, once was with my really incredible Aunt Judy in, uh, she was in Colorado. She passed away a few years ago and, um, she loved to go shopping. I am not a shopping human, uh, definitely not a retail human. Uh, so the idea of going to the mall any day of the week is challenging. Although, uh, at this time last year I was in Ireland and, um, Ireland is in the UK. It is far, far away from us. Uh, and they had Black Friday sales, which I thought, that's weird. Um, so the concept of spending a lot of money on Friday or a little bit of money, depending on how you do it, um, is a thing. And it is, it happens in the UK. <laughs> it made me giggle. Uh, I happened to go into a mall cause I needed to replace some things that I lost in the last bag. Um, I had, uh, lost a bag from, Athens to Ireland and I needed to replace some stuff and I needed a coat. So I went into the mall and, uh, and yeah, they had black Friday sales, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so I wanted to talk about a couple different things today. Uh, I was struggling to kind of download and figure out what the, um, topic was going to be today and I landed on one. So part of it is the idea of traditions, right? Um, especially around this time, I call it obligation season because oftentimes people feel obligated to participate in things um, for a lot of reasons and totally fine. Um, but, you know, at this point, especially if you've been on your, uh, you know, healing and, and working through your codependency stuff, really recognizing what is an obligation, what is a conscious choice. So uh, I call it obligation season because a lot of times we feel obligated to participate in a lot of different things and then we start to build resentment uh, and feel overwhelmed. Now, most people who really enjoy these holidays, they don't have that feeling, uh, but there's a lot of people who this time of year is really stressful and challenging for them. Um, and so part of what my work is, uh, especially you know as a therapist and a codependency coach, is to help people to increase their awareness of what they are holding on to emotionally. So today's topic is uh, traditions and emotional hoarding. <laughs> we think about how, how are we hoarding emotions? That's weird, Stella. Um, well, we do it in a lot of different ways. And um, it's really interesting once you start to look at how you are emotionally hoarding. Um, most people don't hoard positive emotions. Uh, that would be great if they did, right? If they woke up every day and they just wanted to be like, you know, happy and uh, content most of the time. Uh, I don't know anyone who is content most of the time. What I know to be true is that human beings go through a range of emotions in a day, if not an hour. Uh, and so sometimes it's minute to minute. However, some people like to pick up certain emotions and hold on to them very tightly. Um, and, you know, I've talked in the past about resentment specifically uh, because it's one of the ones that we pick up regularly, especially when we are doing all these extra things for acceptance, validation, and love. So um, this idea of emotional hoarding, I've talked with clients before about, and they didn't realize that they were doing it 
um, or that that was, you know, part of their emotional experience. I have talked in the past about how I process emotions very quickly. I, I have an emotional stimulus. I kind of sit with it for a while. Um, I get to that place of letting it go and then I move forward and I don't generally sit around kind of holding on to it, especially if it's a negative emotion. Mostly because it's uncomfortable and, you know, when we are burdened with really heavy emotions that come up consistently, it does feel like we are uh, sitting in it, right? Just kind of living there and it's really easy to do. So I wanted to, to have this conversation to encourage you to start to pay attention to what you're emotionally hoarding. Now, there's a couple reasons that we do this, and um, part of it is completely um, involuntary, like it's just happening. Kind of like the idea of, you know, getting that stimulus and then responding from an emotional place. Um, and so really thinking about uh, this time of year, right? Um, this time of year is not actually super joyous for a lot of people. It's a mixed bag. And so, yes, there are very joyous parts. Um, and so Thanksgiving specifically, um, you know, we get, we get an opportunity to get together with people that we love ideally and that love us ideally, um, from this place of wanting to spend time with our family and our friends. Um, and, if that is a joyous experience for you, I love that for your experience. Uh, it's not for everyone. And it actually creates a lot of anxiety and frustration for people uh, when they are feeling obligated to participate or go to events that, that are not their favorite. For example, uh, Thanksgiving, right? Not my favorite. And so I've been invited to lots of things. And I say often, I don't family and I don't holiday. Coffee. And I don't family and I don't holiday for a lot of reasons, not least of which is my family doesn't live here. Um, you know, they, they're all over the country. Um, and recently they got together last week, so they had an early Thanksgiving, um, which I love. They were all in Tennessee, and so a lot of my siblings got together and had food and experienced a really great, uh, you know, time together, which is awesome. Um, on the way, my daughter was uh, going to go out there, and so she said to me, Mom, do you ever see yourself, you know, participating in family and holiday things. And I said, no, I don't. Um, that's not to say that I haven't. So uh, just for clarification, <laughs> um, when, when my daughter was young, we did the traditional holiday things. Um, and then at, at 10, uh, I said to her, like, we're, we're not going to do this in that traditional way anymore. Uh, we're changing the tradition. And so, um, you know, I, I let her know that I if she wanted to decorate for Christmas or do Christmas things, totally awesome. And I love that for her. Uh, I gave her the, uh, the decorations that she wanted to have. And I said, you can totally put Christmas up in your room, but I'm not decorating the house and we're not going to do that in a traditional way. Uh, and so that idea of traditions, right, really kind of sticks. My mom loves Christmas. Uh, it is one of her favorites. And so she had, I think at one point she had like seven trees um, and would put them in every different room of the house and decorated them in, you know, the, the themes that she really appreciated. Um, and my mom really loves Christmas. So I told Lou, I said, if you want to uh, go and, and do those things, your grandma has it at her house and, and that'll be a thing. Um, and so she was fine with it. Like she adapted and adjusted and it was fine. Um, 
I think I've shared with you before, like my ex-husband and I used to watch uh, horror movies uh, for Thanksgiving. And then we would watch um, like a, a we'd have a marathon of movies or watch the shit out of like an, an episode or several episodes of a show or whatever. Um, and that's what we did for uh, the Christmas holiday. Um, and so it was it was part of our tradition to do those things. Occasionally we would make the food, but for the most part, not really our thing. Um, and then in terms of like gift giving or, or buying things, um, I, I'm not a traditionalist in that way. Um, I, when I think of, when I see something and I really like it, I'm going to buy it for people, um, or I'm going to, you know, spend time with them or I'm going to appreciate them in a lot of different ways. But, uh, having a specific day to do that, not really my thing. Uh, and that's going to be true across the board for most holidays. So I'm a non-holiday human. Um, and so traditions don't really have that same effect on me um, for for a number of reasons, not least of which was, in, you know, growing up, it was more stressful and frustrating than uh, than joyous. Uh, and and that was my experience. And that's certainly part of the narrative. Now, um, there are certain things, you know, the, the one holiday I do celebrate is my birthday because that is, in fact, a holiday, uh, and I celebrate it for the whole month, um, and so I make a big deal of other people's birthdays. Now, if they choose and say that that's not, you know, something they enjoy, we don't do that, and that's fine, um, but really looking at this idea of the feelings that we associate with and the meaning we create from these traditions, right, um, and so recently I had a friend, uh, and, and she said, I have a friend, she said that uh, her family kind of changed up the tradition and normally they would have a, like a big formal dinner and you know, bring out the china and do all these fancy things. And this year they chose not to do that. They had a buffet style meal. Um, and what she said she appreciated was really recognizing that, you know, uh, one, they weren't eating one meal and, you know, being super uncomfortable. Two, they were able to have different conversations that they wouldn't normally have if they were all sitting at a formal table uh, with, you know, the two people at either side of you. Um, and so she really appreciated the changes of the tradition. And so I asked her, I said, well, you know, did you tell your mom that you really appreciated it? Because maybe we want to integrate that as part of our new traditions for the holiday. And she said, no, but I will, because I really did enjoy how there was no stress. Uh, we got to wear cozy clothes. Um, I got to spend time with different family members and have really good conversations. And it wasn't this like forced situation. And I was like, that sounds like a really good time. Uh, somebody else had asked me what my thoughts were on Friendsgiving. And I've had Friendsgivings before uh, because, again, I am the only one who lives in New Mexico. Most of my family has lived um, out of like all over the country, including my daughter. At a certain point, she lived for several years in Colorado. Um, and so friends would get together and, uh, you know, have a smaller meal, maybe more of an intimate situation where uh, we were just having a meal and it wasn't really about necessarily the holiday um, or the traditions of whatever. But what we did get to do is kind of talk about our our family traditions and things that we would do and then integrate them into this, um, you know, kind of smaller time that we spent together which I loved. Um, but this idea of emotional hoarding is something that uh, when I work with clients uh, and, you know, just talk to humans in general, we associate a lot of meaning with certain times of year or certain uh, situations or certain traditions, and it becomes part of our narrative. And then it creates that feeling, it perpetuates it, if you will. 
Um, and so because I, I, you know, kind of process feelings pretty quickly, um, I have learned to take the meaning out and look at it from a more critical place or, um, you know, really evaluating with my new awarenesses as we get new awarenesses every day, the newest version of ourselves shows up every morning um, and then decide whether or not I want to hold on to that feeling. And so for me as a human who processes feelings quickly, it is not something that I stay in. Normally what I will do is I will allow the feelings to come up. Sometimes it feels very intense. Uh, I look at it from that critical place. I do some fact checking and then for me, and I teach this skill often, recognize what, what is that hitting, right? Especially when it's a negative emotion, when I feel angry or frustrated or disregarded or um, sad, uh, what, what is happening? <laughs> where, where is the narrative? What is the meaning there? And so, you know, really recognizing I don't have to hold on to it anymore when I recognize what it is. So specific to, you know, this idea of traditions and how we do things, um, a lot of times we will automate automatically um, those feelings will come up, right? And so when you have whatever the feeling is, um, for a lot of for a lot of people they don't recognize it in the moment. So uh, I think last week or the week before I had talked about this client who came in and you know she I hadn't seen her in a while. She had terminated um, maybe a couple months before. And she was really struggling. Her anxiety was coming up. And so I asked her, like, what is it about this time of year? What is it about the dynamics that you're having? And, um, you know, kind of what is going on that could be contributing to this feeling? A lot of times we don't recognize it, right? So specific to this time of year, specific to the United States and this part of the country, we have the time change. And so it gets dark early and for a lot of people, it is a very difficult adjustment to continue to be awake uh, once it gets dark because our circadian rhythms respond to the light. Um, and we are so far from what our natural instinct is, is to go to bed once it's cold and dark. Um, and so for people who live in like Alaska or, you know, kind of at the polar ends of the country or the planet, um, I can't imagine what it would be like to live in, you know, darkness for for weeks at a time, or light for weeks at a time. That would be really strange and challenging. Um, but a lot of times people have a hard time. And so it kicks off an adjustment period to their circadian rhythms and how they function. That said, some people are really temperature sensitive and they do not like it when it's cold. Uh, I love that we live in a place that we have all four seasons and we get, you know, I think 300 days of sun, which is amazing and awesome. Um, but when it gets dark outside, it affects our, um, you know, our, just our emotionality. And so seasonal affective disorder is real. Um, and so some people will get depressed or kind of just blue in general, maybe, maybe not full depression, but they get blue. They get a lower sense of energy. They have a harder time kind of just being receiving of joyful things and maintaining content is very difficult. Um, and so when I think about what we're holding on to, what we are hoarding emotionally, um, that is one of the things that I, you know, talk to clients about, like, what do you struggle with the time change? Some people do. Uh, I don't, but 
you know, I, I do recognize that it contributes uh, on a mental health perspective. And so we do a lot of making meaning or associating meaning to different things and certainly this time of year. So when we think about, or when I think about emotional hoarding, when I talk to clients and um, I've said before, the first thing I say usually when a client comes in is tell me what's good. And so it shifts their orientation to look for things that are positive. Um, and I do believe in toxic positivity. I think that we can't just run around, you know, all the time, like everything's great because that's not how life works. Uh, there are times in our life and seasons when things are really challenging and difficult. That said, when I ask a client what's good, what they start to do is they associate that question with therapy and coming in to talk to me. And so they start to think about the things in their life that is good. Okay. One of the things that I notice is that sometimes clients will come in and uh, kind of reprocess the same thing over and over. Uh, that keeps people stuck and it's not super helpful unless it's an ongoing experience. And so then we talk about how to set your boundaries or communicate your needs or shift from that you know, kind of thing that continues to happen. Because a lot of times, and especially when we feel depressed, uh, it can feel like Groundhog Day. Like, you know, we just got to get up and go to work and do the thing and there's no joy and it all sucks. And so it's like walking through quicksand in kind of a not great emotional place because we've made meaning that this is just how our life is going to be. Um, and so when people first start to come to therapy, we address that. We talk about it right away. Um, you know, how, how is that? The, you know, how does that feel? Because a lot of times it just feels like we're going to put on our sad suit and we're going to just live in that space all the time. Um, and, and that's uncomfortable. I mean, I've definitely been depressed before and I have clients who live in that state on a regular basis. Uh, and so one of the things that I like to um, integrate is that idea of what's good. Uh, the next one is gratitude. Some people have a really hard time with gratitude. I have had a really hard time with gratitude for a long time. Um, and now I just kind of live in that state. Um, really to the point where, you know, really small, not significant things happen and I'm grateful, right? I, I've talked about the fact that I make really good coffee and I am grateful for it every morning. Not even for the stimulant effects, but though that helps, uh, just I make really good coffee. Like it tastes good. I enjoy it, you know, whatever. I have talked about the fact that I get up and I go for a run every morning. Um, sometimes run, sometimes walk, but I move my body for at least 45 minutes every morning. And I'm really grateful that I have the opportunity to be able to do that because there was a time when I couldn't. Um, and so I integrate that idea of gratitude in regularly. What it does help me do is stay focused and present on this day rather than kind of holding on to things that have happened before now on this day. Speaking for 30 minutes is very dehydrating. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, when we start to recognize what are we holding on to and how does it serve us, then we increase our awareness to what we are paying attention to and focused on. That said, I am not here to tell you that everything will get fantastically magical when you can just let go of your feelings. That's not true. Um, life will continue to be life and things will continue to happen. But as I'm looking at this idea of attachment and detachment, 
what I am looking at is how we are holding on to certain experiences and then making meaning of them and then letting that define how we are feeling in the moment. And so this idea of emotional hoarding, I had one client in particular, um, and they were in a process of grief and they were letting go of, I think their eldest son had gone to college. Um, and she was really having a hard time because she was just like, it's so sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. And I was like, yes, it's sad. And, um, you know, there are so many other experiences and opportunities that you get to have now that you have this grown adult son who's gone off to college and you're really focused on the sad. And she was like, I didn't realize that I was doing that. And so as I learned more of the narrative, I recognized that this human was collecting these pebbles of sad. Um, and some people do that with angry, right? They collect these pebbles of angry and they just kind of stay angry. Uh, some people collect and hoard the, you know, the grief and the frustration or like they go to work and they're just like, work fucking sucks. Absolutely. Work sucks. It's part of our experience, you know, cause we like stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm really grateful to have a roof over my head. So I will go to work to be able to pay rent, to be able to do that. Um, but that's kind of that switch, right? So when we talk about this idea of emotional hoarding, really recognize what is your baseline and how are you maintaining the baseline, right? If our baseline is neutral, I don't have any feelings about anything until something happens. Um, and then what are we going to, what meaning are we going to assign to that happening, right? Um, I think I've shared with you guys, like I spilled coffee all over myself the other day and I was like so frustrated in that moment and that I was like really grateful to have coffee and it was fine. And I just let it go. I let go of feelings all the time. But again, I am very skilled at recognizing what it is and I don't put a lot of meaning into it. Um, I do put meaning into some things and I definitely put meaning into things that are within my control, but there's so many things that aren't in my control. And, you know, for future reference, anything you can control, our choices and our behavior, um, how we respond to a situation is something within our control. But things happen all the time around us. I'm not going to say to us, but they happen around us all the time. And what meaning we assign to them is up to us. That is your choice. And then your behavior is what you do with that information. And so, you know, I, I am a clumsy human. I did talk about, you know, hurting my hand, which is almost healed. And I love that. Um, but again, looking at that idea of, I could make a lot of meaning about that. I could be like, oh, I'm so clumsy or, oh, gravity sucks or, you know, whatever it is. But it comes to, it comes down to like, what is my perspective? How am I going to see the world around me? And then how I interact with it. Um, understanding that shitty things are going to happen. That's true. Uh, we cannot change that even if we had the most bright and sunny, you know, perspective on the world, shitty things are still going to happen. So what meaning we assign to them is up to us. Um, I've had other people in my experience who have had really devastating loss. Um, thinking about one client in particular who uh, went through uh, something pretty tragic. And, um, you know, I, I saw them kind of at, at the kind of tail end. It was about a year after that pretty tragic loss. 
Um, and they could not have, they couldn't imagine their life because this loss was so devastating. Um, and then I, I proceeded to see that client for, for several years and, and now they're doing great and I don't see them in a clinical way anymore. Um, but at a certain point, they started to change the meaning of the narrative. They started to change the meaning of the life that they, they were living um, in, in spite of this tragic loss. Um, and when we have really tragic loss, it's really hard to um, figure out what our life is gonna look like. I wrote an essay about grief, uh, I think last year when I was in Athens, and I had, you know, kind of put it in the book and really talking about how loss changes who we are at a fundamental level. And, you know, it's not just the loss of a person, though that is tragic. It is significant loss of the idea of what we thought it was going to be, the attachment we had to that outcome and the meaning we made of that specific human idea, job, you know, house, whatever it was. Um, and so it devastates us, right? So it guts us and, and destroys us to the, to the very core. And then, uh, you know, we wake up the next day and oftentimes, especially with grief, we wake up and have to recreate meaning of our life minus a significant part of it. And so I was thinking about, um, how this human being was able to create meaning of the life that they had minus the significant part and once we got about I don't know two years in we sat down we had a conversation we had therapy and uh and they had put a lot of meaning in the dates of certain things and um I think the date came and went and they didn't think about it and they had some guilt about it they were like oh fuck I didn't realize that it was that time and I didn't get really sad and so that was hard for them because in that moment, they recognized that they had not attached the same meaning to that date and they had not attached that same sadness or that same feeling to that loss. For some of us who have had significant loss, it takes a while. Uh, it takes years sometimes. Um, and so the meaning that we had in that relationship and in who that human was or in who that situation or circumstance was, it doesn't feel so big. And so when we are emotionally hoarding, we make feelings a lot bigger than they are and we assign a lot of meaning to the loss, the sadness, the anxiety, the situation, the frustration. And if that is all we are holding on to, that's all we're gonna feel. But we experience a, a wide range of emotions throughout the day. And so we get to choose how much we hold on to. We get to choose how much meaning we put in those feelings. That said, there are certainly people who have, uh, you know, chemical imbalance and their brain doesn't make enough endorphins. And so I do recognize that depression is very significant and lasts a long time for a lot of people. Um, and there are certain things that we can do without taking, you know, antidepressants to manage that. But when we start to shift our brain and our orientation to what we are focused on, we actually can establish a different baseline and we can change the perspective of how we view our place in the world and then the world around us. 
And so it is a beautiful thing to be able to change that awareness. And so really start to recognize what am I holding on to? And not just the stuff, because that's certainly part of it, but what meaning have I assigned to these specific things, to this particular time of year, to these particular feelings? Um, you know, I, I can tell you that from, I think, 22 to 27, um, I was clinically depressed for most of that time. And uh, it was difficult to get up every day. It was difficult to make meaning of the day. It was difficult to shift how I lived my life. Um, and I am really grateful for that version of me who got me through those really difficult times because she just kept pushing. Um, and, and she had, you know, really awesome, amazing experiences in that time. Um, and so I look back on those pictures and I'm grateful for her, uh, because she got to this place where she continued to, to do the things that she needed to, to get to this place. And I speak of her like she's gone. Uh, she's not, she's in here. Um, but I started to think about like, at 22, 23, I was on the bathroom floor and uh, I had thought about my first book, the first book that I haven't quite written yet called I Didn't Know Hell Had Christmas Lights. And I remember looking out the bathroom window, it was a frosted window and uh, people had decorated for the holiday and I was so cold and sad and just overwhelmed and all I could see were these twinkling Christmas lights on people's houses. And so... I'm grateful. I'm grateful for her. She got us here. Anyway, that is your nugget. Um, hopefully that gives you some awareness of what you're holding on to and what you're hoarding from an emotional perspective. Um, you get to sign the meaning. You get to choose what you hold on to. Either the relationships, the feelings, the stuff, the people, you choose what you hold on to. And once you get to that place of being able to let go of or shift the meaning or change the narrative, it doesn't have to be so heavy. You determine the baseline. And so when you start to recognize what am I holding on to and what do I need to let go of, then you can choose how you move through the rest of the day. I will not say that this is a magic pill and you will feel magical all the time. Nobody feels magical all the time. Life is still life and shit still happens, and things still suck, and you get to determine what you're holding on to in that hoarder's basement of feelings that we all have. It's up to you to make those decisions and choose how you move forward through your life. Anyway, there's your nugget. I will talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest of your Friday, whether you're buying things or just hanging out with family and friends. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, we have ended the video and we will end the recording. Um, 30 minutes on emotional hoarding is a whole thing. <laughs> Hopefully that gives you some perspective and I will talk to you next week. Take care.